I'm supposed to share this. So I'm going to talk with you tonight about something um, that's a little misunderstood, a little controversial, I guess, or maybe just never mentioned. I want to read you a quote from a, a book by a pastor called, uh, named Happy Caldwell. He says in this book, From the beginning of creation to the ministry of Jesus and throughout the church age, there is no message more revolutionary, life-changing, or misunderstood than a believer's authority on this earth. Yet many believers are totally ignorant of the amazing authority that God has given them. Most believe they are just hapless pilgrims trudging through the hardships of life with a philosophy of God's in control, whatever will be, will be, and they don't think that there's anything that they can do to improve their situation. Now, obviously, when you open a big can like this, uh, there will be those that disagree. There will be people that resist and, and mock you or twist your words or misinterpret what you're saying, call you crazy, all those kind of things. And a common response to the authority of the believer that I've heard all my life is something like this. The doctrine of the authority of the believer is used in charismatic circles to claim divine power, to perform miracles, to get rich quick, to stay healthy, to bind Satan, to speak a new reality into existence, or whatever else the believer wants to happen. You hear the mockery in those words? That's fear and that's unbelief and basically that's ignorance speaking right there. Many Christians, I would say most Christians, I would say, don't know what belongs to them in Christ. And so I want to help you prepare for the revelation that hopefully is coming in this message for you. Uh, that you can learn something, take a nugget or two, share it with someone else, and, and hopefully find some victory in your life. The authority of the believer is revealed the most to us in the book of Ephesians, more so than any other book really written to any of the churches. And so we'll spend a lot of time tonight in the book of Ephesians. And I just want to challenge you over the next week to really read through the first three chapters of Ephesians more than once. But in particular, I want, to, I want to note tonight the Spirit-anointed prayers at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 3. And Paul didn't write these prayers just, just only for the church in Ephesus. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit, so he wrote the words even for us today. And I want to read them to you. Ephesians 1... 16 through 20. It says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that He has given to those He called, His holy people who are rich who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power 
that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand and in the heavenly realms. And then in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says this, When I think of all this, this is Paul, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ through it, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. And so my challenge to you after reading those is this. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians this week, more than once, if you can. But in particular, take those two prayers and read them out loud so that your ears can hear. But in the place of you and your, where these verses say you and your, replace that with me, my, mine, or I. Now, I'm telling you, If you will get this down in your spirit, it will change your life. Make your prayer personal. It's going to sound something like this. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resource, he will empower me. This is you praying for yourself. He will empower me with inner strength through the spirit. And then Christ will make his home in my heart as I trust him. My roots will grow down into God's love and keep me strong. And may I have the power to understand all, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. And may I experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then I will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Do you see how that sounds when you refer it back to yourself? You're praying a prayer of knowledge, of wisdom, of power, over yourself I dare you to pray it over yourself every morning every night and make it personal so what about the authority of the believer Ephesians 6 12 says this for we wrestle not against the flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places now some Christians get real Fearful when you start mentioning demons and the devil. They, they lower their voice. Start whispering, that devil. And then other people react in the opposite way. They really bow up and, you know, well, I'm going to wrestle with that demon. Right? And they think it's their responsibility to, to wrestle down the demons. And the truth is that neither one of those groups is really understanding their authority that Jesus gave them over Satan and over the demons. And yeah, there are times in our lives when we have to resist the devil and take up a fight against him. 
But our combat should always be with the knowledge and surety that we have authority over Him. It's not a, maybe I'll win, maybe I'll lose, let's see what's going to happen. When you fight the devil, when you resist the devil, you know that you've won already. And God's provided you with armor, spiritual weapons for your warfare against Satan. In Ephesians, again, Paul writes these words. It says, Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Paul made it clear that while God has provided the armor for us, It's the believer's responsibility to put it on. And then take up against the enemy. We have to take our position of authority when we get into that kind of battle. So before we go any further, just know this. Those who have victory are not people who don't have a struggle. It's the people who persist and keep going forward that have the victory. Without a struggle, we wouldn't need this power to overcome the devil. There wouldn't be any need for it. We are going to go through struggles. But God's given us the authority to overcome. And you need to know this too. Your authority and the victory is not like some step-by-step plan or some formula that you step out of, you know, write a formula down and, and walk out of plan. It's about realizing who your enemy is and then knowing who you are and what you've been given by Christ and doing what he tells you to do. Satan cannot dominate us unless we allow, allow him to. Even in a struggle, he cannot dominate us. He is a defeated foe. Christ defeated Satan at Calvary once and for all. He took the keys of death and hell and he took it away from Satan. And right before he ascended up into heaven, what did he do with it? He transferred that authority to us. Some think that the authority over the devil is only for just like a few chosen people. Like only the pastor has this kind of authority or maybe only, uh, you know, some famous traveling evangelist. But that is absolutely not true. It belongs to every single child of God. Every believer. I'll read you this. We receive this authority when we are born again. And as we are made new creatures in Christ Jesus, we inherit the name of the Lord Jesus by the signature of the blood of Jesus. And we can use it in authority against the enemy. The name of Jesus is the key that opens the door to our authority. And the blood of Jesus is like the signature on that document. Right? 
If I, if I were to walk up into Regions Bank up here in Opelika, because that's where I bank every day or every few days I'm in there. When I walked in there, they would say, well, hello, Michelle. How are you today? What can we do for you? Right? I could walk up to the counter and I could say, hey, I need to get $100 out of my account. My authority in that building has already been established. They don't question me. They don't argue with me like I'm not me. They know that I have authority to manage my accounts. They don't even ask me my name. I don't have to show them my ID. My authority there has been established. But now if I walk up into Regions Bank in Montgomery, Alabama... And I just walk in there. They don't know me. My authority there hasn't been established. Do I have any less authority over my account in the region's branch in Montgomery as I do the region's branch in Opelika? No. I have the same authority there to manage my accounts. But they don't know me and so they stand against me. Right? If I step up to the counter and say I need $100 out of my account, they're going to look at me like, who are you? Right? And even if I tell them my name, they're not going to know. But when I present them my ID or my debit card that has my ID on it, and I prove to them who I am, right? Come on. When they see the signature of my name on that account then they will obey my request. As a matter of fact, I was thinking earlier, I could walk in that bank and manage the account of all of my children because I have authority over them, over their accounts. And there are a lot of them. Did you know you have authority on behalf of your children? I was talking to someone yesterday and, and uh, she was telling me about her, her child that she had to take to the dentist and um, he had like a bunch of cavities and he's a little kid. He's got several cavities and she was, you know, oh gosh, I've, you know, my, my son, he's got all these cavities. And we were just talking about that, but it reminded me of something. It reminded me of when our children were born. Alan and I began at that time to speak the promises of God over them. And we began to declare authority on their behalf. And I remember when they were really little, babies even, this is going to sound so dumb, but I remember speaking authority over their teeth and I declared when they were babies their teeth are going to be perfect and they're not going to have a cavity for their entire childhood now that sounds pretty arrogant right I mean that that really that sounds ridiculous when I think about me actually saying that but we stood in the authority that had been given to us to speak over our children 
the promises of God. And God promises health and wholeness, right? And so we spoke that over them. And my born children have never, ever once had a cavity. Not one. And I didn't remember that until she said that to me. It was not like I've been marching through time. Ha, 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 we don't have another cavity. But I remembered that that we claimed over them when they were little. Matter of fact, our adopted kids, once we got them here and got their teeth fixed, since have never had a cavity. Got their wisdom teeth out, but... Now, I know that sounds silly, but you have authority to speak over your children, to speak into their life. But when they come to an age of accountability, right, you release them and then they stand on their own authority. And that's where my children are now. I don't really know why I'm telling y'all this. It's for somebody, I guess. Hampton says he's not quite an adult yet. He's still under my authority. That's good to know, son. (laughs) The devil doesn't want you guys, anyone, any Christian, to learn about the authority that they have as a believer. He wants to continue to defeat us in every area, to trick us, to cause fear, to cause defeat. He will fight us more on this subject, more so than anything else. If he can keep you from knowing your authority, then he keeps you where he needs you. But if you ever learn the authority that you have in Christ, his party is over. And he knows it. And you will dominate him. And you will just cause his party to end. But listen, the authority that is given to you is it's not automatic. You can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian now, so, you know, devil bows to me. And it's not just some automatic thing that happens. It's something you have to exercise. You have to enforce in your life. Simply just knowing that you have authority is not enough. You have to use the authority to dominate the devil. You have to exercise it with what? Your words, your spoken words. Do you ever stop to think about this? Salvation belongs to a sinner. Jesus bought the salvation of that sinner, same as he bought mine, same as he bought yours. But that poor sinner, not knowing what belonged to him, will have to go to hell. Even though his debts were canceled, even though salvation was bought for him, and it was right there, free for the taking, he didn't know what belonged to him, and he died without Christ. If you don't know what belongs to you, it won't do you any good, right? That's what I'm getting at. If a Christian doesn't know what belongs to them, they can't walk in victory. You've got to find out what belongs to you. And then once you find out what belongs to you, you have to exercise your right to use it. 
I'll do this. Where'd my book go? I got $20 right here. If I laid that $20 right there, it's mine, right? It's laying over there, but it's mine. I own it. It's mine. Even though it's laying over there, it's mine, right? But if I said, hey, Gabe. Hey, Gabe. Hey, guess what? That's your $20. That's your $20. It's yours. You own it. What if... Hang on just a second. What, what if... He said, well, wow, thanks. I appreciate that. But he went home and he just left it laying there. Is it still his? I gave it to him. He owns it. That, that's yours. You own it. I gave it to you. But if you go home and leave it right there... It still belongs to him. He still owns it. Right? But can he use it? He can't go to the store with that, with it laying right there. Right? What does he got to do? He's got to pick it up. He's got to exercise his right to use it. Actually, it's yours. I'm giving it to you. But it's the same thing. We've been provided authority that's just laying there. And we don't know. We just leave it laying there. And we go out the door. And we need to go to the store and buy something. But we, we left our supply. We don't even know we have it. It's, it's provided, but we, we don't pick it up and use it. Y'all got it, right? Just like I said before, most Christians don't know what belongs to them. And they keep trying over and over to get what God has already provided for them. And when you constantly ask for the same thing over and over that God's already provided for you, you are stepping out of faith. And when you step out of faith, you are not pleasing God. Because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? And so Christians will say to other believers, please pray for me to be delivered from so and so and so. But they don't pick up what belongs to them and try to fix things and do things on their own for themselves. They wait for somebody else to try to do something for them. Colossians 1.13 says that we have already been delivered from the power of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of God's Son. Translated means removed from one place and put into another place. So, born-again Christians have been removed from the power and authority of darkness and have been placed in the power and authority of God's kingdom. The translators of, of the King James Bible, they did a pretty good job on most words, but they did a really bad job on translating the word power. 
For instance, in Luke ten nineteen, it says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You hear the word twice, power, in that verse. But the two words in the Greek mean two different things. Bible scholars, correct? What Jesus was actually saying is, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And speaking about scorpions and serpents, he's talking about the power of the devil. And we need to realize we have power over them. We have, a, we have authority over them. Now the value of your authority rests in the power behind the authority. And who, where does the value of, of our authority come from? It comes from God. God himself is the power behind our authority. And the devil and, and all of his demons, they are obliged to recognize the authority. They can't skirt around it. They can't ignore it. They are obliged to recognize our authority. And a believer who thoroughly understands the power of that authority, the power of God that's backing him up, can exercise his authority with fearlessness. So what is authority? Authority is delegated power. So if you go up here to this school, any school, and you see the policeman or the traffic guy, and when he puts his hand up like that, what do the cars do? They stop. Now, can that man alone stop that car in his physical body? No, if that car wanted to, that driver could run him over, right? But he has authority in that badge in the government that, that hired him for that position. There is value behind his authority. So when he holds his hand up, we recognize his authority and we stop. Right? It is the same thing with our authority in Jesus Christ. Paul says to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And that means when the devil is coming at you like one of those cars, you just put your hand up and say, stop. You have authority to tell him to stop. I I read a story once, and y'all have probably heard this story, maybe if you follow Smith Wigglesworth. But he tells a story about when he was standing there waiting to get on the bus one day and this lady came out of her apartment uh, behind him and she had a little doggy door and her little doggy came out and followed her out to the bus stop. And she was like, Okay, honey, you have to go back now, sweet doggy. And doggy licked her in the face and was like, around her legs and just hopping around, jumping around. And she was like, now, honey, you need to go back in the house. Go back. And little doggy was like, <laughs> jumping around, so happy. And about that time, here comes the bus. Bus is pulling up. 
lady's about to have to get on the bus, and she looks at her dog and says, Get! And little doggy tucked his tail and ran in the house. And Smith Wigglesworth looked at her and said, Well, that's the way you have to talk to the devil. I like that story. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. He that is in the world is Satan and his friends. And the God of this world is the head over all of the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. But the power that's in you is greater than the power that's in this world because of the authority that's been given to you. I want to say this one thing. It seems like the most difficult thing in the world for the church to stay balanced. Right? You can take any subject, including this one, probably more so this one, and push it way over to some extreme, right? And it becomes harmful. Falls off the radar, gets off in the ditch. There was this guy named uh, Father Divine. And he was once saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had everything going right. He had the real thing. But he began to study these same verses, these same scriptures that we're talking about tonight. And he says to himself, hmm, if we are in Christ, then I'm Christ, and Christ is God, so I'm God. And he founded a cult, and he was very popular, and he dragged a bunch of people down in a ditch with him, because he went way off in left or right in the ditch on this very subject. And so we want to stay in the middle of the road, right, with this subject. I want you to know the truth. I want you to begin to exercise the authority that you have. But don't get off in a ditch. God is still God. He's a sovereign God. And you have to figure out where the balance is. Pastor Allen says there's... A balance to everything, right? So my goal tonight, we're going to talk about this subject some more. But my goal tonight was just to introduce you to the, the truths of your authority as a believer. And I, I hope that maybe your eyes have been opened a little bit. You kind of have a fresh revelation about just the beginning of this topic. And we're going to talk a little more about it next week. We'll get into more about um, areas that we have authority over and how to exercise your authority. So some more um, practical use, use.